Father, it's our heart's desire that you be glorified. So I pray in your word that you would glorify yourself, that you would shine through, that you would speak to us in such a way that would transform our lives. Take away, Father, every distraction. May we turn away from everything that could keep us from listening. And may our ears and our minds and our hearts and our lives in this moment be consecrated, be devoted to you and you alone, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn, please, to Joshua in chapter 3, please. Joshua in chapter 3. I want to begin reading with verse 1. Joshua in chapter 3, verse 1, please. Hear the word of God. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out uh, uh, from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And then verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark, were dipped in the brink of the water, and the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above and stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Then chapter 4, verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, and from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as Joshua, the Lord told Joshua. 
And they carried them over with them to the place that they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And then verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal, just east, on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, uh, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The question, of course, is what's this message? What's the message from this event to future generations, that is, generations future uh, from Joshua's day, which, of course, would include us. So what are we looking for? What's the message to us from uh, these events? Of course, entering this land was huge. It was huge because uh, God had made a promise to Abraham. He had promised to bless him. He had promised to make his name great. He had promised him descendants. He had promised that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that Abraham would live and his descendants would live in that covenant that is in the context of these promises of God so long as they believed him. So long as they lived as Abraham lived. So long as they lived by faith and walked with God. And that if they did that, if they lived by faith, if they walked with God, if they were in this covenant with God, if they received from God his promises, then they'd be blessed. They'd have this land, and they'd be prosperous in it, and God would be their God, and they would be his people. But if they didn't, they'd be cursed, and they'd be cut off. We know what happened, that God did bless Abraham with descendants, but Abraham himself never got to see, enter this land, own this land, have this land for himself. And we know that his descendants, that God had said, were enslaved in Egypt. But God, the scripture says, remembered his covenant with Abraham, and so he sent Moses to deliver the people with the hopes of bringing them into the land. But you remember that the people didn't believe God. When he took them to this oasis named Kadesh Barnea, and spies were sent out into the land, the spies came back, 10 out of 12 of them, and says, we can't conquer this land. And so they didn't believe God, so they weren't able to enter. By this point in time, all those, that generation is dead. And Moses is dead. And now Joshua is being called to lead the people into the land. So it's huge to go in. It's as if the promises to Abraham are being fulfilled in this time. But not only is it huge that they're going in, but it's very significant uh, uh, how they're going in. Because they've got to get across this river, this Jordan River. And so here's the plan. The plan is that the people were to consecrate themselves... That is, they were to set themselves apart in that moment to be completely devoted to God because God was going to do wonders in their midst. They were to consecrate themselves at that point in time, focus their attention, their hearts, their minds, everything about themselves to God. The priests were to take this little box called the Ark of the Covenant and they were to carry it. 
And they were to, to lead out in front of the people. And they were to go out there to be 200 cubits. A cubit's about, about a foot and a half. So it would be a little more than a half a mile. They're going to be about a, a little more than a half a mile in front of all the people. And it was important that they were out there so that the people could see them. So they could see what was happening. It was important for them to see what was happening. And so when the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord your God, as it puts, the Ark of the Lord God of all the earth, as it's expressed in this passage, all those different ways, as they came to the Jordan River, which was flowing uh, at its height, this passage tells us that at this time of the year, it overflows its banks. And so it's, it's, it's raging, if you will, as a river, as much as the Jordan River possibly could. And so they come, the priests do, and as soon as they put their feet in the water, it stops flowing. The Jordan River stops flowing and just sort of stands still in a big heap at one end and then dries up. And the ground dries. And they stand there holding this box, this Ark of the Covenant, this box that was two and a half cubits by a cubit and a half by a cubit and a half. A little less than four feet long, a little more than two feet wide, wide and tall, so not really a big thing. But there it was. And the, the river just simply stopped flowing. And they would see, see that. Now, what's all that mean? Well, the focus of attention, obviously, in this passage, interestingly so, is upon this little box. It's upon this Ark of the Covenant. This, this, this Ark. Now, normally when we think of Ark, we think of a ship. And I think, you know, if they had heard about Noah's day and Joshua came and said, we're going to have to take an Ark across the Jordan, they'd go, cool, get in the boat, we're going to go across. That's the way you do these kinds of things. But it really wasn't that ark, it was another ark. Because generically, the word ark simply means an enclosure. It simply means something that houses something else. So the ark of Noah was a big ship that housed himself and his family and the animals. That was an ark. Um, and so uh, the ark of the covenant is this box that housed the covenant. It housed the promises of God within it. Because you see, in this box were a number of, or about this box were a number of very important things. Number one, within it, among a couple of other things, were the Ten Commandments, the tablets of the law, representing the very holiness of God, but also representing the very promises of God that He would be their people, that He would be their God, and they would be His people. The very promises of God, the covenant, and interestingly, the lid, the top of this box was gold and it was called the, the lid or the seat of propitiation or as we have it in many versions rather nicely put the mercy seat we sang about that this morning the mercy seat it was the seat of mercy and you might remember that, that on the day of atonement that the high priest would come and sprinkle blood right there because this box would be in the temple or in the tabernacle before in a little area called the Holy of Holies. And once a year he would go in there and he would sprinkle the blood on this seat, on the mercy seat, as if to say, God, have mercy upon us. Don't hold our sins against us. Take rather this animal in our place. Be merciful to us. 
And not only did this ark contain the Ten Commandments, the promises of God, the covenant of God, not only on the top was this mercy seat, the seat of reconciliation, if you will, but there were also two, two angels, carved angels, golden angels, one on either end facing each other. And that was significant because the scripture said first that God dwelt between the cherubim. Uh, of course, God can't be contained in a box. And he can't get, be contained in a small area. But the point is, he's saying, this symbolizes my presence with you. In fact, there's a sense in which this symbolized the very throne of God. You remember, there was a day in the life of the prophet Isaiah. When he went into the temple and he saw the Lord on his throne. And what did he see around his throne? There are these angels flying around. Two, they cover their, with their wings, they cover their eyes, and they cover their feet, and so forth. But around the throne of God is the picture of these angels. And so here we have this box that represents so much to the people. Most especially, it represents the very throne of God, the very rule of God, the very power of God. And they can see that. I mean, this box goes into a raging river, and it stops. He's the God who rules over all the earth. But more intimate to them, it was this box, this ark, this container of the covenant, the promises of God. Because in it we could see the very character of God. We see his holiness in his law. You shall have no other gods before me. But we also see his mercy. See in this box the, 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 the holiness of God and the, and the mercy of God meet. He's saying, yes, here's what you need to do, but here's my mercy that covers over it all. And so it represents the very throne of God. It represents the very promises of God. I will be your God. You will be my people because here's how you're to live and I'm going to be merciful to you. The very promises of God. It's as if God was saying, listen, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you, so I'm going to build a box and I'm going to parade myself and my promises right before your very eyes. I I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to withhold these things. I I'm not, not going to pretend I didn't make these promises. I'm going to, I'm going to hold them right here so you have, the, you have the contract filed and it's filed away in the Ark of the Covenant. It's right here. I'm not trying to hide anything from you at all. I'm your God. I'm the faithful one. So it showed the very power of God, the throne of God, the very promises of God, the character of God of being holy and yet being loving, being holy and yet being approachable by sinners because he's merciful to them intimately, the very presence of God with this people. And he says, here's the way you're going to get through what otherwise should kill you. I mean, without the Ark of the Covenant, if they had just simply started walking across the Jordan River, they would die. They'd drown them. When I was a little kid, I don't know about you, but we, I was very enamored with all of these stories of the Red Sea and the Jordan River and Jesus walking on water. And so I'd try that all the time. I wouldn't tell people because... But, you know, you'd kind of walk into the lake and look around. Nothing would happen. Well... Because you need the power of God. And if I would have just kept walking until the water got over my head, I would drown. And you see, the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Red Sea, would kill. 
And so in order to get to the other side, in order to get to the land of promise, in order to get to the place where God was taking them, somehow they had to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Could you imagine? You're walking across on this dry ground, and there's this heap of water just right there. Could you imagine the noise of all that? I mean, here's a river that stops, but it doesn't really stop. It just sips, it piled up. I don't know how water piles, but it just piled up. Do you imagine the pile of water that you'd have right there and the noise of it and, and the feel of it and how humid it would feel walking through that particular place? And there you were. You know, it, poets uh, over the centuries have used this expression to describe our life of, of going from sin to life, of going from death to life, of crossing over the Jordan. There's a couple of, of hymns written in the 1700s uh, in the 18th century time period. Uh, one, uh, you may know, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. There's this expression, this line. It says, when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside, bear me through the swelling current, land me safe on Canaan's side. What are you singing when you sing that? You're singing, this life is scary. There's all kinds of things that can come in my way. And my hope, God, is in you that you're going to carry me across. That you're going to get me through, uh, subside my anxious fears. We sang another one this morning, written in the 1700s of, as well, on Jordan's stormy uh, banks, uh, I stand. We sang this, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. Here you are on this side, and the land is on that side, and the river's in between. I mean, there's a sense in which we stand here and we look to glory with a wishful eye. Some days it's more wishful than other days, right? Some days are just the kind of days that you're pleading. To Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Just for the Israelites, they knew that everything that God had promised them was in that land. Just for us, we know that everything, the completion, the fulfillment, the culmination of all that God has promised to us is on that other side. The Apostle Peter puts it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's the wishful eye. And there we stand. Now what stands between us and that? Death. As well as this life. We've got to get through this to get there. And he looks on this with willing, with wishful eyes. says, no chilling winds nor poisonous Breath, to wonder the context of that in the 1700s, what poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore. Sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are left to fear no more. When shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When shall I see my father's faith, face and in his bosom rest? That's where we're bound for that land. Now for us, it's glory. Ultimately, after the return of Jesus, the renewed the new earth and all of that we look for that how do you get there that's the real question isn't it how do you get there now they were able to see and it's so wonderful of God to say stand back all of you if you get too close you may not see it so stand back and watch what's going to happen 
he says, I'm going to do this, and you'll never forget this. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to open this up. Well, it is exactly the same way for us. There's no way we have any hope in order to make it to the other side. Through the course of this life, death will overtake us. How do we overcome that? There's one who parts the way. There's one who's gone before us. The Apostle Paul says it's Jesus, and he's the firstborn among many brothers. He went first. He went across first. And when he went across first, he opened the way for all those who would come in him, all those who would trust in him. In Hebrews, I won't ever let you forget Hebrews. Um, In Hebrews, it speaks of this Jesus, chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. See, Jesus came, and part of the image that we have of Jesus is this, is this one who's bringing many sons to glory. He's gathering us all up in him, and he's taking us across. You see, that's the very image, the very point, because he went before us. In chapter 6, verse 19, we read this in Hebrews. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So he's already gone there for us and in the very presence of God. And we then come in him. And so the scripture says then in Hebrews chapter 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the very one. You see, we... Enter, we go uh, in him. Now it's interesting though, before they could see this, they needed to consecrate themselves. Now the little word consecrate sometimes is translated in the Bible as sanctify. And sanctifying is something that God does to us, but there's also this sense that can be used of us doing it to ourselves. That is the, the willful act of consecration. Now, the consecrate means to set something apart and devote it for a particular use. For instance, if you had a box of crayons and you wanted to color something red, then you would pull out the red crayon, right? And you would then color with it on the paper or the wall, depending on your age and level of mischievousness. And that would be consecrating that crayon. It would be taking it out and using it in a way that says, this is red. In fact, it's interesting, this little word in Hebrew that is translated consecrate is also translated in other places to shine. And so you see, when this red crayon is consecrated, its redness shines. It reflects its redness. That's what it's supposed to do. It's fully devoted to being red. And it's fully devoting to coloring things red. It's not doing anything else. Can't be confused with anything else. It's not just sitting in a box being a regular old crayon. It's red. And that's what it's supposed to do. When they are to consecrate themselves before the Lord, the the meaning is that they are to devote themselves, to dedicate themselves wholly to God. That, that nothing else is to get in their way. And therefore, in consecrating themselves wholly to God, they'll shine. They'll reflect the very glory of God. They'll show how great He is. You might remember that when Moses and the people 
around Mount Sinai, God told Moses this. He says, I'm going to visit the mountain. There's going to be smoke and, and fire and thunder and all of that. So I want you to tell the people to be careful not to touch the mountain. But they need to consecrate themselves. And the way that the people consecrated themselves, the two things that are mentioned in their consecration was, one, they would wash. And two, they would abstain from sexual intimacy. Now, the washing we get because we go, all right, it means I'm going to, in order for me to be in the presence of God like this, I need to wash. I need to be cleansed. I need to be pure. Because to stand in the presence of God, you need to be pure. And you say, well, washing isn't going to purify your heart. And everybody knows that. But it's, it's an expression. It's a symbol of saying, I know that this is what it means to be in the presence of God, to wash and to put on clean clothes and all of that. I need to be pure in his presence. And to abstain from sexual intimacy uh, relates to a whole category of things simply saying, for this moment, you need to be completely devoted to God. No other distractions, nothing else to satisfy, nothing else to come into your, into your life. But right now, everything, even that most intimate act between a husband and a wife, right now, everything be devoted to God. Concentrate your attention upon Him. Look to him and you're going to see something. That's awesome. Priests were consecrated. They were set apart from the people and to be then devoted completely to this priesthood, to serving in the temple. And in their consecration service, an animal would be killed, a bull would be killed, its blood would be sprinkled in the sense of cleansing. And then interestingly, blood would be taken from that sacrifice and rubbed on their ear and rubbed on their right thumb, and rubbed on their right big toe. Why? As an act of consecration, as a symbol of consecration, as a symbol of devotion. And the priest would be saying, I'm only going to hear you, God. I'm only going to listen for your verse. My ears are consecrated to you and to you alone. I just want to hear you. I'm going to listen for you. And no one else is going to influence my life other than you. And and I'm going to do those things with my hands that that glorify you. I'm going to dedicate my hands and everything that I do to you. And, And I'm going to dedicate my feet. Everywhere I go will be only where you lead me. My life is consecrated to you. In fact, we sang that. As well, frankly, all you had to do is sing this morning and you'd have been just fine. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Now, did you think when you sang that song? I mean, if you thought when you sang that song, you probably did what I did. And that is, I stopped singing for just a little while. And I had to take a big gulp because I knew what it means because I prepared what it means. Uh, Is that really... Is that really my prayer? Yes. Is that really my life? No. Should it be? Yes. Do I desire it to be? On a good day. Take my life. Let it be consecrated. We're saying I want my whole life, God, to be devoted to you. And then then the, the poet doesn't let up on us. He says, all right, your hands. Ever looked at your hands and said, these are consecrated to God? They should only touch that which is pleasing to God. Could you imagine perhaps what you wouldn't touch, what you wouldn't do with your hands if you saw them as belonging to God, being the hands that could only please Him? Would you 
Would you touch that remote? <laughs> you know, would you touch that phone? Would you touch that person in that particular place? What would you do with these hands? Would you touch that person who's hurting that maybe no one else would touch? What would you do with them? These hands, look at them. And then your feet, he goes on to say, take my feet, let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Let them go in places, God, that you approve of, that, that reflect you, that shine in such a way that say, that's, that's God's. Where, where wouldn't you go? If you looked at your feet and said, these are devoted just to God, where would you go? If these feet were devoted just to God. Take my voice, let me sing. Take my lips, let them be filled with messages for thee. Have you ever listened to your voice and said, my words are completely devoted to God? What wouldn't you say if you were thinking about your voice being consecrated, devoted completely to God? What would you say if your voice was completely consecrated? We've already done silver and gold. Intellect, your thoughts, what we think. How would your mind work if it was completely consecrated to God? Take my will, make it thine, the decisions you make. Take my heart, make it thine. If our hearts were completely consecrated to God, what would our passions be? Take my love, we're to love as God is loved, we're to love what he loves. We're to be consecrated to God. Scripture says, blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. We could translate that. Blessed are the consecrated. For they will see God. God would say through Joshua. He said, listen, you've got to consecrate, consecrate yourself. Because tomorrow you're going to see God in such an awesome way. You don't want to miss it. You want to get it. You want to see this. If anything else you're going to see, you want to see this little box. Part this sea. Part this river. And so, he says, devote yourself. You know, don't turn away. Wouldn't it have been a horrible thing to be looking over there when the river stopped? If you were devoted to this or devoted to that or devoted to this action, devoted to that action, and you missed it, and all the other people saying, did you see that? See what? And you look up and it's party. Oh, ooh, I missed it. I mustn't miss, you see. And I think there are times in my life where I've missed stuff. Because my attention's been over here and my attention's been over there and I haven't been devoted to God and I've missed opportunities to share and I've missed opportunities to bless and missed opportunities to help and, and all of that because my devotion has just been... <laughs> consecrate yourself. Conce consecrate ourselves. We'll shine. We'll see it. So important as all of this is that Joshua tells the people, don't ever forget this. So here's what I want you to do so you don't forget it. I want you to get some stones. As you go through, I want one man from each tribe, probably a big guy. All right? One guy from each tribe. I want you to pick up a stone as you go through. Bring it over to the other side. When we get to Gilgal, we're going to make a little pile. And not only that, Joshua himself, it appears, took some stones too. And he put those stones, stones 12 stones, right at the feet of where the priest stood to kind of you know, mark that spot. And you go, that was silly. As soon as they left, the water came, you know, the river came back and covered them up. They're still there. They would still be there. And sometimes the Jordan overflows its banks. So maybe during normal times, you could see those stones. 
just an aside. This is over-spiritualizing. But you know, there are some times in life when, when the waters are so high, we forget God. Uh, We've got to keep reminding ourselves, there's stones under there. God's in this place. He's been here. He'll help you. And then when, you know, good days and the waters recede, oh, we're just fine. We can see stones all over the place. But he said, I want you to take these stones. I want you to pile them up as a memorial so you remember what took place this day. So that when your kids ask you what really happened here, you'll be able to tell them. Because it's a horrible thing to forget God. Deuteronomy chapter 8. God had already told them about the dangers of, of forgetting. And I read this passage from time to time, mostly during our offering time. But Deuteronomy in chapter 8, verse 11. It says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. You know, how in the world could we forget Him? Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I commanded you today. You see, forgetting means we're not following. We're not obeying. That's evidence of forgetting. Or we may be remembering in a cognitive way. But we're not remembering. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through with great and terrifying the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he may humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for He, it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. He says, I never want you to forget how you got here. I never want you to forget that you could not have gotten into this land had I not stopped that river. If you would have tried it on your own, you would have died. You couldn't have done it. I did it. Don't ever forget. Got any stones in your life? Things where you know God's been in this place. God is with me in that particular time. For some of you, it may be at your, your testimony. You remember the time when it all came together and you said yes to Christ and knew that he had saved you. Now, I don't have a big bang-up testimony like that. But I have some little stones. For instance, somewhere we have my little baptismal certificate. Anyway, what's the big deal about that? Well, not because I'm trusting in my baptism to save me. But when I look at that, I was only six weeks old when I was baptized. I look at that and I say, God is faithful. Holy cow. little Hindu expression there. Um, uh, sorry about that. Um, you see... Wow, God is really faithful, isn't he? Oh, he made a promise to save all those who would come to him. And, and I grew up being taught the truth. I grew up being taught the gospel. And here I am. I believe. Wow. 
I have a little certificate that I got when I joined the church when I was 12. Again, no big deal in one sense, but it's a marker for me. I go, yeah, okay. There was a day in my life when I made a profession of faith to this, the church. That's significant. I remember the day I heard a lecture on the resurrection of Jesus that rocked my world. I remember the time when the idea of God making an unbreakable covenant to which he would be faithful, swearing by his own name, dug deep in my life and convinced me that I would never be lost. I remember that day. For some of it, you may be a book. I look back at particular books and I feel what I felt when I read them and I knew there God was with me at that moment in time. For some, it might be... It's interesting to me, and I love the summers around here because people come back to visit us in the summer. You probably don't know that unless you know these people, but some from years gone by and, and they introduced themselves to me, some I don't even remember. And I said, well, what are you doing here? You're here for a wedding? You're here for... No, I just wanted to come back here one time. Because it was here they met Christ. It was here they began to walk with Christ. It's here they began to get it. And not because we're special churches. All churches do that kind of stuff. But it's amazing. This is stone for some people that come back here. That's why we got to stay, by the way. And that's why we have to stay faithful. Because we're a stone. And if we screw up, then it's really going to hurt a lot of other people. So we need to keep, you know, hanging in there. But we need to have these personal moments with God that we can look back to and go, yes, he was there then. Some more than others, depending on personality, depending on how God is working. But we need to know that God has been personal to us and we've seen him at work. And and don't expect these to be many. That's why the stones had to be piled up. It isn't that God was going to separate rivers all the time for them. No, so I'm going to do this now. Put up some stones and remember this. Next time you come up to a river, I may not open it up. But don't be afraid of that river, because you know what I can do to rivers. If I want to do something, to a river. So just chill, rest, be at peace. Okay? He doesn't do them all the time. Now, the big stone for us is the cross. Whatever else, we can't miss it. We can't take our eyes off it. Because, you see, it's the very... Ark of the Covenant to us. It shows to us the very character of God, His holiness and His mercy. It shows to us the very promise of God, trust in Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. You'll belong to Him. It shows us the very power of God because through the cross He destroyed sin and death. It shows us the very rule of God because by way of the cross He stopped the waters that we on dry land amazingly in the valley of the shadow of judgment could be pardoned and have life. Just a little subtlety in the end of this passage. Just so happened that when they crossed over the Jordan, it was the tenth day of the first month which is the day that they would begin making preparation for the Passover, which means it's very likely that it was 40 years ago on that day that they began making preparation to leave their slavery. In four days, they'll celebrate Passover. 
Now what's that mean? That's next week. Let's pray, Father. Father, I pray for me, for us. That you would enable us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. That we trust none other. That you would cause us to consecrate ourselves, to devote ourselves to you and you alone. That we would have no other gods before you. That we would love none other as we love you. Father, I pray that you would enable us to look at our feet and our hands and listen to our voices and think about what we hear and what we see, what we do. And that, Father, our whole being would be consecrated to you. And in looking upon Jesus, we would realize that we're no fools for dedicating our lives to you and following after you. Father, we pray that you would enable us to remember. Thank you for the times in our lives when you've shown yourself, penetrated us in such a way that we won't forget and we pray you'd bring those times again to mind. We thank you for the cross because it is right there for us to see in history. The very mercy of God, the very love of God to us. How it is through Jesus you open the way the face of judgment and death that we might live. Father, may we be a people grateful, eyes upon you, consecrated. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the benediction. I urge you to uh, attend one of our classes coming up. in this, in 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, the response to the benediction uh, this morning is this, God is with us, hallelujah. Please receive this as God's benediction. Now to him who is able to do abundantly more than we can or ask or imagine through his power, that's at work within us. Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, God is with us. Hallelujah.